The first reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Second readings from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21 the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Thanks, sir. Test, test. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, somewhat at the back, maybe. Give me a thumbs up, a little louder. I don't want to get too close to this because I'll feed back and then it'll be really loud. I will give that a shot. How's that? That's a bit louder. Good. Sing a little louder. Preach a little louder. There we go. I need to use some of this. few things set up here. It's kind of counting on some clouds this morning. I was looking at the forecast and I thought it would be cloudy. So I layered up thicker clothing, but uh, God has a way of surprising us. Beautiful. I'm not complaining though. A little bit warm. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we can read these uh, two different passages. And uh, I just thank you that we live in such a beautiful country. I thank you for Canada. I thank you for the uh, city of Port Alberni. I just uh, 
yeah, I thank you that you bless us, you take care of us, and that you love all the people in this town, Lord. You love all the people in this country. Pray that you speak to us this morning from your word. Amen. I'm going to talk about how to be rich towards God. And I'm going to keep my glasses on. I'm sorry if I take them off, I'll be squinting at you. Uh, But it's great to actually uh, see faces and not uh, just preach to a camera. But uh, you guys online, it's great to have you as well. But after several months of of me talking to cameras and stuff, it's great to actually be in person with, with you guys. So how to be generous towards God. So I want to talk a little bit about generosity and greed. Uh, A woman once decided to have her portrait painted, and she told the artist to paint me with diamond rings, paint me with a diamond necklace, emerald bracelets, a ruby brooch, and a gold Rolex. And the painter said, but you're not wearing any of those things. She said, I know, it's in case I should die before my husband. I'm sure he's going to remarry right away, and I want to drive his new wife crazy just looking for those things. That's an example of greed, of wanting more stuff or having the appearance of having more stuff. Now, when we talk about sin or admit or confess our sin, I don't know about you, but greed isn't one that always crosses my mind as as one that can impact my everyday life uh, and my spiritual walk. Greed can be hard to notice in yourself, but it can be easy to point out that speck in another person's eye. Greed has the power to grab hold of you, to grab hold of your soul, to rob you of making godly decisions and can turn you into looking like a fool. Greed has been the downfall of many spiritual leaders, and greed, if it's left unchecked and not dealt with, can be what drives each of us into the ground. Greed can be the most subtle sin of all. It can disguise itself because we can explain it away. We can think to ourselves, we deserve this good thing that we've We've earned it, we've worked hard for it, and it's mine. What's mine is mine. Now, I think back to when my kids were small and they'd they'd, uh, play with friends and have toys. And what do we usually want to teach our kids to do? We want to teach them to share, right? Uh, Part of me watches them when they play when they were small. And I thought, well, they got to that toy first. They should enjoy it. They should take their time with it. But uh, God wants us to be generous. And having a mindset of generosity, it starts young, it starts where we're at, and we work on it for the rest of our lives. There's no end date of when you stop being generous. Greed can be subtle. We can hide it behind a lot of good virtues. Greedy people can be savers, and saving is a good thing, right? Greedy people are often planners, but planning is a good thing, right? Greed is easy to hide from ourselves because we can justify it. But we all fall short. Jesus warns us in verse 15 of this parable to watch out, to be on your guard against all kinds of greed. There isn't just one kind, all kinds. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This is the exact opposite of what our society and our culture tells us. Just looking up some stats, going to share with you. Uh, In 2011... The Apple company, Apple, spent $933 million just in advertising. Last year, it was $1 billion just in advertising and getting the word out there about their product. The Ford company last year spent $2.45 billion, that's billion with a B, in advertising. And the PepsiCo, 
spent almost $3 billion in last year alone just in advertising. That's just to get the word out there about their products. Massive, huge investments just to advertise and get more people buying more and more of their products. When you have a lot already, you aren't always satisfied and want more. You want the next thing. You want what is next. Now, greed knows no socioeconomic boundaries. There's greedy poor people and there's greedy rich people. Now, financial gain doesn't make greedy people less greedy. It doesn't usually change much other than a shift of selfish priorities because it's a condition of the heart and a pattern that has to be changed. While I was looking at those stats, I also saw that Canadians are so desperate to get ahead, get ahead just to even get out of debt. Uh, a survey I read said that 5% of Canadians would be, be willing to sell off a body part or an organ just to have that consumer debt wiped out, which is crazy. Uh, first point I want to make is we all have a choice about how to invest our lives. We all have a choice about how to invest our lives. Now, realize this morning I'm not speaking against any financial planners or debt management or even speaking directly about tithing this morning. I'm all for being a good steward of what we're given and leaving some sort of legacy behind for our loved ones and setting up patterns where we can invest in God's kingdom. There's a saying where there's two sure things in life, death and taxes. And even in your death, uh, that's taxed as well. At this point in the parable, uh, Jesus has just finished a long sermon about God taking care of the sparrows and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. But Jesus tells this parable about this rich fool because he's asked by someone in the crowd to be a judge and an arbiter between him and his brother. He's told to tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, this revealed uh, part of his own heart. This man's problem wasn't just part of his brother's greed, but also his own greed was exposed. He had a focus on getting what he wanted in this world, what he thought he was rightfully entitled to. But Jesus shows him that his true need was to be ready for the life after this world. Instead of being the judge between him and his brother, Jesus pointed him and the rest of the crowd how to be rich towards God. So how can we invest our lives so wisely so we are rich towards God? Now, I think most of us have heard the verse in Luke uh, 16, 13, where Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. Now, in that verse, I like how he said, uh, cannot. You cannot serve both God and money. He doesn't say should not. Because God, who created our inmost being, knows that it just isn't possible. It's not how we are wired. We just can't do it no matter how hard we try. This farmer in the parable, or as some people call him, a rich fool, as it says in verse 16, the ground yielded an abundant crop. God is the God of the harvest. He gives the riches. He can take away the riches. He can also withhold and give abundantly. God's not surprised when you come into some money or you get a raise or some sort of blessing because it's him that gives it. He wants good things for you. Just like we sang, God is for you. May his favor be upon you and your children for a thousand generations. But he cares for your heart and how you can handle and manage your wallet and your calendar 
can affect your heart. Why do we save money and call it good planning? Is it for security? Is it just to buy more expensive things? Or is it to travel more? So we can put that passport away for a little bit. Uh, this rich farmer had crops that did so well and gave him an abundance. He thought he could build bigger barns and get rid of his old ones, that he could take it easy, that he could eat, drink, and be merry. Basically enjoy a nice long retirement. But that wasn't the case. As God told the farmer his life was going to end that night, well, then who would get his abundance? Who would enjoy the crop and its rewards? If the only reason why we accumulate wealth is to enrich our lives and build up our own sense of self-security with no concern for helping others, we have totally the wrong concept of the kingdom of God. Do we trust God to provide even when we can't see a way, even when we don't understand it? Second point I want to make is greed ignores that Jesus is Lord over everything. Greed ignores that Jesus is Lord over everything. This farmer saw himself as the owner of all he had. Do you see in there how many, how many times he talks about himself and his crops, his barns, his decisions? He consults no one else. Greed, greed had robbed him of his ability to see what other people had needed where that true source of the blessing was from. How would he have reacted if this barn simply just burnt down? How do we react if we lose material stuff to a fire or a flood or a thief? Does it tear us apart? Do we fall apart emotionally? It's okay to grieve and be frustrated, but at some point you need to press on and give that to God. You know, I think about the house that, that my family bought a few years ago now. Uh, our first house that we ever bought was about a 700-square-foot house, and, and we moved to this one. It was a lot bigger. Having a family of five and a house that small is pretty tight. And so when we moved to this next house, uh, we'd only been there a few months. And in December, I remember getting a call at work from Candace uh, saying, you need to come home. It's raining in the carport. And sure enough, I came home, and it was just pouring out of the ceiling of our, our double carport and what had happened was there was a water line that we didn't know about because we were just getting used to the house. There was a water line against the, uh, against the side of the house in the carport attic um, towards the upper, upper floor. So the, the elbow joint had just let loose and it was pouring water uh, in the attic and against the house. And so we had started a home insurance claim. Uh, if you've never done one of those, they can be fun. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, so that was our first flood. We ended up having three floods uh, within a span of six months. But talk about the second flood. The second flood really almost literally brought me to my knees. Uh, we were in the midst of doing the renos in the basement from the first flood. Um, the home insurance company that they got, they were doing some of the renos. I was doing it myself. And we have a kitchen in our basement. And the kitchen sink was removed. And this house is about 50 years old. So some of the rubber seals in the kitchen sink uh, and in the faucets that are in the wall, they're old. And rubber, as it gets older, it breaks down, it gets harder. And so there was a rubber seal on the hot water valve, and that had let loose. And it let loose in the middle of the night, and no one was sleeping downstairs. So I got woken up at about 6 in the morning by Candace, uh, again, pushing me out of bed. You need to get up. <laughs> There's water and steam downstairs everywhere. 
And so I fly out of bed, run down the hallway, go down the stairs, and you open the door, and there is just steam everywhere. It was a sauna. And you, you walk out. We walked out into the living room part of the basement. And I just felt such a sense of defeat. Uh, God, what is going on? You, you look at the walls, and you could wipe the moisture off the walls. And, and so Candace and I, we just held each other for a few minutes. And it was hot and steamy, but there was no romance. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, God literally just humbled me right there. Uh, he humbled me. This is not your house. You're not in charge of it. You take care of it, but it's not yours. And so I'm, re I'm reminded of that blessing uh, almost every time I pull into the driveway and have the visuals of the, of the rain coming down on the carport. So if you're ever at our house and you come into the basement, that's the nicest part of the house because it's all renovated, just saying. Uh, Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I brought a prop to help me illustrate something this morning. I will try to keep it on camera for you folks at home. Now, I have a ball. I want you to imagine this ball as your wealth, as your treasure, your bank account, your time, your talent, your skills. Now, I could walk around with this ball all day long. You can see me walking through town with it. I could be at the keyboard trying to play piano with it. Would that be fun, just carrying a ball everywhere? What is the purpose of a ball? What do you use a ball for? Anyone? You kick it, yeah, you have fun with it. I think with the preteens on these very courts here, we've had some dodgeball games, some square ball games, and taken it to the face, but it's a lot of fun. You bounce it. Am I having fun with the ball if I hold on to it, though? Am I having fun with my wealth if I just hold on to it and store it up? Am I getting anything out of it? No, and that's not what Jesus wants. Jesus said to give and it will be given to you. The only way you can give is to let go. You can't give with a closed fist. What do you have to do? You have to open up your hand and let go. At Jericho Road, we like to talk a lot about using what's in your hands. And thank you, Lord, for what you've given us. But part of that is letting go and releasing what he's given us. Whether that's time, money, or talents, skills, Whatever he's given you, it's not yours. You just manage it where it can manage you. Now, I'm going to let go of the ball. Remember I said this is your, your wealth, your treasure, your time, your skills, your bank accounts. Watch what happens. It comes back to you. I bounced it. I'm using it for what it was designed to do. Bouncing it and having it come back to me. What did Jesus say? Give and it will be given to you. You have to let go of the ball in order for it to be given back. It's no fun if you just walk around hanging on to a ball. And that's the way it should be with our wealth. Not building it up, not building up bigger barns, not storing it up for ourselves, but using it for what God intends. Now notice this ball doesn't shrink down when I drop it. I don't drop this ball and pick up a golf ball. No, that's not how it works. 
for with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Now, God's math isn't the same as our math. It's kingdom math. And it doesn't always make sense to us. But it's perfect for him, and it's perfect for us. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves why we have so much. God, why have you given us all these things? Now, I realize that some of us might not have as much as we want. Few of us do. Our culture does a good job of telling us what you don't have. You need to get this. You need to look like this. And if that's our focus, it can lead to greed. When we struggle with greed, there's no margin for generosity. God wants us to be generous with what he's given us. Just like you don't wait until you're in shape to start exercising, you don't wait to start being generous until your fear of giving is gone. Don't wait until God changes your heart to begin being generous. But by being generous is the way that God can change our hearts. As he changes our hearts, our attitudes and our feelings will follow. Yes, God loves a cheerful giver, but he's going to use your money whether you're cheerful or not. How you become rich with God is by becoming generous to his people for his kingdom. How you become rich with God is by becoming generous to his people for his kingdom. Our generosity should flow out of a concern for one another. Like I said before, having money and wealth isn't a bad thing in itself. But not knowing why you have it can lead to problems. Like the farmer who got rich, he might have explained away his bumper crop by hard work, by being smart, or having the luck of good weather. But if we're going to leave it all behind us anyways, we're clearly just managers of it and not the owners. Now, some of us get to manage more than others. Now, some people less. Maybe it's not money and wealth you get to manage. Maybe it's talents or maybe it's having more time available to encourage others. Do you hold your ball of treasure tightly, keep it close to yourself, or do you let it go and have it come back to you? We should never feel guilty that God has given us something different or something more than other people, but we should feel a sense of greater responsibility when he does bless us with more. Now, if you were to sit down with a financial planner or someone at your bank, one of the first questions they ask you is, what are your goals? Why? Because they're handling your money. You're trusting them with your money. That financial planner or bank teller, their personal goals aren't as important because you aren't discussing their money. A good financial planner will handle your money with your goals in mind. If they were to receive a large sum of money from you, with no instructions to go with it, would it be appropriate for them to go out on a shopping spree? No, because it's your goals, your money. And that's how God wants us to use the wealth that he's trusted to us, whether that be money, time, or talents. Are we building our barns bigger, or are we building our God's barns better? I like what Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, said, when he was talking about living modestly and having his team members be off on Sundays to take care of their families and go to church if they wanted to. He said, if we focus on becoming better, our customers will demand that we become bigger. If we focus on becoming better, our customers will demand we become bigger. Now, as followers of Jesus, I turn around to say, if we focus on becoming more like Christ, others will look to learn about following Christ. Being rich towards God is valuing what God values over ourselves. 
We need to treasure what God treasures, my relationship with him and others, to be rich in good deeds, to be rich in generosity, and rich in relationships. I want to close off with Paul's charge to Timothy at the end of 1 Timothy. He tells him, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Whose barns are we filling up? God's barns. So let's be good stewards of what he's given us, whether that's money, whether that's time, whether that's skill or talent. He's given us so much. We have so much to be thankful for. And so we need to turn that back to him. And we know that he will bring it back to us in the harvest. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are God of the harvest. You are God of the abundance, Lord. I thank you that you give and you take away. And we don't always understand why. Sometimes we don't even see how. But God, we know that you are always at work. That you never stop working. That you have good things in store for us, Lord. You want to bless your children with so many good things. And God, we know that, that you take care of us, that how we, we manage our time, how we manage our wallet, Lord, can reflect our heart. So Lord, we want to continue to be faithful. We want to continue to bless others where we can bless others. Continue to show us opportunities, Lord. Continue to show us opportunities where we can bless others, where we can sow into relationships, Lord, where we can give generously. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you continue to, to give us new ways in this, this strange COVID season that we're in, Lord, where some of us might not be as comfortable with being close to one another, Lord. But we thank you that you make a way, whether that's technology online or distancing, Lord. Pray that you continue to speak to us and guide us through this season, Lord, and how we can be faithful to you in your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.